I often say that uh, anything that can ever go wrong, flying has gone wrong with me. Uh, so I, go, I don't get surprised anymore, and uh, including this plane crash, which I survived. But not only that, actually I have survived so far. Uh, five times I probably should have been dead. I've also survived a bomb blast in a train and fall from a fourth-story building and uh, cancer that came and went and we didn't even know that was there. So my wife is counting how many lives I have. And uh, so <clears throat> let's see how long that, la that lasts. But uh, sometime I'll uh, tell the story about my uh, plane crash. I just got back from India for the last two weeks. I've been there. And uh, <clears throat> this time, instead of going via London, I flew via Hong Kong because the ticket was cheaper. And I said, uh, let me do that. But it's a long flight from Dallas to Hong Kong, 16 and a half hour flying time there, and 14 and a half hour flying time back. And uh, I can't sleep sitting up. So that's my time to catch up with the movies because I don't go to theaters to watch <laughs> movies. So while going, I watched six movies. And they all kind of merged together because I dozed in and out. And uh, so my kids, once in a while, they'll hear. I said, I remember that scene. I think I've seen that movie, but I have no idea what name, name is. And on a way back, I remembered uh, that I tried to watch six movies, but I think I only finished three. Uh, but one that caught my attention, which kind of stayed, like, stayed awake to watch, was the movie that just came and went, and I don't know how many of you saw but the title of the movie was uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas. Did anybody get to see that movie? It just quietly came and went. And part of the reason is because it's a British production. And oftentimes, BBC movies don't get pushed that much into theaters. But it's a story about how Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. And it's based upon a true story, based upon the true facts and the books and everything. It's worth watching it. So this Christmas, if you're looking for a movie to watch, uh, soon probably is going to be out that you can rent it, and uh, it's worth watching it. And the reason I mentioned that movie, because it reminded me that he truly is the inventor of Christmas. Because uh, as we look through the ages, and especially until the middle of the 1800s, Christmas was never ever considered significant. It was the Easter that everybody celebrated. And the church throughout the ages have always been debating about, first of all, when did Christmas really happen? It wasn't until 300 years later when the church started, they tried to narrow down a date and they still fought over it. And at the same time, the significance of Christmas uh, was not taken up that crucially because the moment you talked about Christmas, then you had to talk about Jesus' birth. And when you talked about Jesus' birth, you had to talk about Mary. And when you had to talk about Mary, you had to talk about the virgin birth. And the church did not have the answers for that. In fact, the history tells us that the church, the Roman Catholic Church, almost split on this issue that was Mary's own egg was used to conceive the baby Jesus, or was that the first embryo implant in her womb so that Jesus could take birth? 
The reason because the church could not come up with an answer, how could someone born through a sin, sinner could be sinless? When half of her biological contribution is there in the birth of the child. You know, today we look at the Christmas story, we look at the virgin birth, we skip over, we go over there. That's not being a big issue. It has always been a big issue in the history of the church. It still is a big issue in many of the countries around the world. We cannot go past talking about Jesus and his virgin birth in India before we can explain what really happened over there. And when the church could not come, a Roman Catholic church could not come up with any answer. So they said, well, in order to make Jesus sinless, we better make Mary sinless. So that's when the doctrine of immaculate conception was invented. But then the issue came, did Mary remain sinless as a result of giving birth to the sinless child? So another doctrine was added. Yes, Mary remained virgin for the rest of her life. What about other children Joseph had? Well, he had them from the previous marriage. They just kept coming up with different kinds of this, this doctrine to somehow explain what happened. So the best thing was to avoid focus upon Christmas because we all agree to his death and resurrection, which is more important. So let's talk about Easter. Forget about the Christmas. And that's how it has been all through the thing. And honestly and truthfully, it was Charles Dickens who really reinvented the Christmas story. And that too, because the queen had just married at the time with the German uh, guy who brought the concept of the tree and the Buckingham Palace for the first time was decorated with this tree and all the ornaments and everything. And everybody said, what is that? And he was struggling to come up with another story. So he said, let's invent. Let's talk about this fiction about the Christmas of the past, the ghost story. And he wrote that book. And they say that as a result of that book, not only Christmas got revived, but also the philanthropy giving that happened at the time until today it continues. But since the days from the Europe till today, Christmas has still considered kind of a holiday and a family time. Just eat, give gifts, and nothing really significant happens. It was the American church that added the Christmas Eve service. You know, when we first came to the U.S., I thought, you know, we, we, my wife and I were looking forward to, to the Christmas Day. Oh, that'll be a great day for great, go to some of the great service on Christmas Day. And we were surprised to find out that there are no church services on Christmas morning. Because that's not how people grew up in India and many countries around the world. The biggest event of the church in India is a Christmas service on Christmas morning. And then oftentimes there is a lunch afterwards and that's the celebration. So even while we are here on Christmas morning, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be attending a Christmas morning service in the Indian church, and there's a fancy, really big lunch afterwards. But Christmas Day, till today, people do not know what to do with it. I want to talk about the Christmas story we refer to the passages. And when I talk about the Christmas story, the, my title of this morning's message is 
the three unwise men of the first Christmas. Because we often talk about the wise men. And uh, the images that the pictures, the movies, and all they embed in our mind, uh, we talk about the three wise men. Why we talk about three wise men? Because there are three gifts mentioned. It'll be mathematical improbability for us to be able to calculate if there were four people mentioned and they brought three gifts, the theologians and philosophers will be wondering, now which one of them brought two? Why couldn't each one of them bring all three? So to make it easier, that's what we do. And sometimes the scripture, we cover it up with a certain image that gets embedded. One of the ones that's embedded in my mind is that every time Moses is shown with the two tablets coming down and very nicely in the pictures, then five commandments are written here, five are written up there, and he comes down with his ten commandments. All you have to do is read your Bible. It says there very clearly that God is an inventor of duplex printing. It says that tablets were written front and back. <laughs> but we like to see Moses holding two tablets, five here, five here. That's the image that we have. Same thing, certain images about Christmas are embedded from that day. For example, every time you see angels, they're always pretty girls with nice flowery dress and, and the wings. The only problem is that all the angels in the Bible are male. Men will not look good with a beard and mustache and wearing wings and singing pretty songs. Let's look at the two, three texts that I'm going to refer to this morning. But before we do that, let me once again mention that we'll appreciate your prayers for the ministry that we have in India that Steve mentioned. Uh, we are running way behind in our uh, giving this, this year. We still need about 92,000 to end the year in black. And uh, I just got back from there. A number of programs are in, uh, in jeopardy next year if you don't have enough funds. And if the Lord leads you as you're giving gifts to your missionaries uh, to make a special gift to seek partners, we'll really appreciate that. And I often say that for $100 a month, you can sponsor a student, full-time student, pays for his tuition, residential living, uh, books, and everything per month. Uh, to have a Bachelor of Theology or Master of Divinity degree. And we'll really appreciate to have uh, more partners to do that. Please turn with me to the story in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we are told in detail the story about Jesus' birth. What happens over there is that Luke takes his time to explain how Jesus was born and uh, talks about that how everybody had to go to their hometown for the census to be taken. And verse 4 of chapter 2 in Luke says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, where he was from the house of that. Nazareth is about 65 miles north of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem is about six to seven miles south of Jerusalem. So it's a long journey, 75 miles, that he has to take with a pregnant wife who could be due any time and bring her all the way from there to down there. And while they're there, 
Mary is due, and it says, when they come there, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, and uh, that's where Jesus was born, and he was, the reason he was in a manger, because there's no room in the inn. Verse 10 says, when the angels announced to the shepherds, this is what they said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Later on, when Jesus is presented at the temple, talks about in verse 29 onward, he says, now Lord, this is uh, Simeon saying that, release your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Birth of Jesus when it was announced, even Matthew talks about chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, clearly the angels declared that this child, the Son of God, is going to be the Savior of the world. In Matthew 1, 21 says, and you will give his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. A number of years ago, I wrote a small track, a Christmas track, asking the question that why do I celebrate Christmas? And the reason for that was because in India, every religion is allowed two holidays. So Christians are allowed Christmas and Good Friday. The reason for that is because Easter always falls on Sunday. So they said, give us a Good Friday holiday. So probably that's the only country where legally and officially Good Friday is a, is a public holiday, government holiday, and Christmas. So those are the two holidays that always happen. So it's considered the holiday for the Christians. And in response to that, I wrote this, uh, this small pamphlet. My first introduction to, uh, to Christmas was when I was in a primary school. <clears throat> I remember a teacher was explaining the world religions and the founders of different religions and the holidays. I still recall when she talked about Christianity, this is what she said. She said, Americans are Christians, and this is their tradition. In the month of November, they sacrifice a bird, and a month later, their God, the Christmas Father, appears. I've never, ever forgotten that. They make a sacrifice about 25th of November for Christmas Father to appear in December, a month later. That's the only reference that she had about Christianity. <laughs> Nothing has much changed since then. <laughs> it looks like the same thing, that we sacrifice a turkey on Thanksgiving, <laughs> and then we wait for the Santa Claus. <laughs> she could not say anything more than that. People had forgotten that you really cannot talk about Easter or Good Friday unless you first talk about Christmas, that why this child was born. Why did he come into this world? Just because we could not explain some other things, everybody's kind of undermined the concept that what really happened at Christmas. Later on, Matthew picks up on something that Luke didn't think is important to talk about. And that's where the story of the visit by the Magi, the herald, what he did over there. Luke considered other things important. 
So flip with me to Matthew chapter 2, and let's quickly look at what happens there. In Matthew chapter 2, the passage that was read earlier, the whole story is mentioned that what happens, that uh, the birth of Jesus happens. And uh, the surprise thing is that these three guys, which they're more than that, Magi from the east, they show up in Jerusalem and they ask a straight question. Verse 2, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And verse 3 says in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem. Why was he troubled? Here you need to go back to the history to study a little bit more about Herod, who all his life had struggled so hard to win two worlds. He wanted to be the popular with the Romans and he also wanted to be the king of the Jews. He wanted to please the Jews. In fact, he adopted Judaism as his official religion. He really believed that he was the one who was going to reign on David's throne <coughs> and afterwards his children. So that's what he was trying to please. The great temple that he built is called Herod's Temple because he wanted to please the Jews. Turned out to be that he was a terrible king, died a terrible death. Here, three few people show up from far away straight to the temple, uh, to, the, to the herald and to the temple town, and they ask him, where is this king of the Jews who has been born and we have come here to worship him? Naturally, he'll be troubled. He thought he was the king of the Jews. So text says, immediately what he did, he called, he, in verse 4, he gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he inquired of them, where is this Messiah who was to be born? And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. Everybody knows that. For this is what has been written by the prophet and explains the whole thing. So <coughs> it was King Harold who sent this Magi to Bethlehem. They didn't know how to go to Bethlehem. It was his team of experts who told him where the king was going to be born because they just saw the star, they knew the king was born, and they run towards, the, towards Jerusalem to the palace. He sends them over there. When they go visit him, and then what happens is that they want to return to back to Jerusalem because he made a deal with them, come back and tell me what happened, and I will go back and worship him. Angel tells them, don't go back. And as a result, they go somewhere else. Angel tells Joseph, take baby Jesus to Egypt, run away. He goes away till Harold dies, comes back. There's a lot of history in that. For some reason, Josephus, who we rely a lot upon the intertestament history, does not mention about Jesus' flight to Egypt. But if you look at the artwork that has been portrayed, they made a big deal about his visit. And oftentimes they say that he stayed there for maybe eight or 10 years before he was presented again at the temple 12 years. There's a lot of gap in what happens in, in those days. Let's reconstruct what has happened. Joseph and Mary come down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Baby Jesus is born. And again, our pictures of the Christmas story talks about the sheep coming, the camel coming, and the magi coming and all. 
But actually the visit by the Magi was not until Jesus was one and a half or maybe close to two years old. It happened much later. That's why Harold said that you need to kill all the kids two years and younger because some time had passed between that time. Luke does not mention that Jesus went from Bethlehem to Egypt. He says he returned from Bethlehem to Nazareth. But Jesus was there in Bethlehem until his circumcision, presentation at the temple, the purification of Mary and all those kind of things. And then they go to Egypt and they come back to Nazareth. Coming back to my three unwise men of first Christmas. The first unwise man is in the book of Luke. The text says that when the people returned to Bethlehem to take census, that they found that there was no place for them to stay in the inn because innkeeper had no room. The first loser is the innkeeper, the unwise man. God brings salvation to his home. The child, the Messiah is going to be born because that inn probably was a home that people rented out rooms like a first Airbnb. Because when there was extra crowd, that's what people used to do. There were not that many hotels and motels in those days. Some bigger towns had an inn, but Bethlehem was a very small, insignificant town at the time. Whatever the situation was, he may have asked Joseph and Mary, I have one room reserved, but the price is high. Do you have money to pay? No, we don't. Sorry, there's no room. The commercialism of the first birth of Jesus, of the first Christmas, <laughs> had already been happening. We have no room for this Jesus because we are busy making money. An unwise man who loses out in Messiah being born in his home, in his inn. <clears throat> and he turns him away. Not only turns him away at the time, but they stayed there in that town for a long time. And there's no mention that this innkeeper, the housekeeper even said after the visit by various guests, well, this child looks significant. Why don't you move in with me? Let me take care of you. But in the commercialism of him making money, he lost out on the first Christmas, the joy of first Christmas. If you go to India today, <clears throat> one of the biggest celebration of Christmas is done by non-Christians. The five-star hotels will go out of the way to decorate the Christmas tree. They even import turkey from around the world to have Christmas dinners, the finest wine, the finest beer. <clears throat> and out of all the people, Sikhs are the ones who celebrate the parties of Christmas. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Because Christmas has come to be known as a pre-celebration to New Year. New Year. Today what we see about Christmas is the sales that we all are waiting for. <clears throat> How many people miss out the focus upon the birth of a Messiah because the commercialism of Christmas. The second unwise man of that first Christmas was the King Harold, who lost on the fact that the news come to him that the Messiah, the Savior, is born. He's the true King of Jews. 
but because of his own political position, who wanted to be politically correct to both align with the Jews as well as with the Romans, he could have nothing to do with Jesus. The man who spent all his life trying to please the Jews, even build the temple and try to give them encourage, encourage them in the religious freedom, will have nothing to do with this Jesus. Because politically it wasn't correct for him. The third unwise man of the first Christmas, actually the group of unwise men, Matthew talks about them. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. These are all the seminary professors. These are all the pastors. These are all the Bible translators. He said, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah is supposed to be born. And everyone knew the answer. Because they were expert in that. There was no doubt that one day Messiah is going to be coming. There was not even any doubt where he was going to be born. And they are the one who give the answer and tell this is what's going to happen. But guess, do they all run down to Bethlehem to worship the child? No. You know, when I went to Israel the first time, <clears throat> I took the standard tour going through all the places. How many of you have been to Israel? <clears throat> okay, those of you who have not, at least once in a lifetime, you need to go because the whole history and the geography comes alive when you visit that place. And the second time I went to Israel, I stayed with a very close Jewish friend who's a believer, president of a seminary, and he gave me the inner <clears throat> tour of the synagogues and going with the Jewish families who are not believers and other places. And I had a very fascinating visit, even with the, with the priests and in the scribes and all that. After my the two visits, I came to this conclusion that technically the Jews are still supposed to be waiting for their Messiah. But when you look at Jerusalem, when you look at the religious structure, they are so comfortable in waiting that even if today Christ were to come back again, they have no room for him. Just like they rejected the first time, they're going to reject him again. Why? Because they're comfortable in the system in which they have created. Jesus did not fit their description the first time they came. They wanted him to come to be the political savior. Even though it has been explained again and again that he's coming as a savior of the world. They said, no, 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 he's supposed to be exclusive ours. And that too more for political reasons than for anything else. But these religious leaders, the scribes and the priests had no room for the Messiah to come. <clears throat> Nothing has changed. Some of the smartest people that I meet in, uh, around the world are educated people and oftentimes they're educated in convent schools where they were exposed to the Bible. They had to read the Bible. Or even as uh, adults going to these finest schools, they had to read the great books. They had to read those guys who wrote against the Bible. And in return, they had to read the Bible. They can answer all the questions about the Bible. They can explain to me, to you, some of the aspects of the scripture much better than even some of the seminary professors. 
But in spite of all the education, in spite of all the learning, in spite of all their <clears throat> putting the pieces together, they will not bow down and worship Jesus. They're still in the category of unwise men, just as the first Christmas. Three unwise men of the first Christmas, the one who commercially, because of financial reason, could not afford to have anything to do with Jesus. Second, because of the political reasons, because he wanted to make sure that he's politically correct, he could not and would not have anything to do with Jesus. But saddest of all, the one who have spent their entire life searching and waiting for this Messiah will have nothing to do with Jesus because they're comfortable in their own system. He does not fit into the definitions. The story of Christmas more than ever needs to be told today. Again and again and again in the church to our children, to people around the world. The reason it needs to be told is because of the third passage that I want to refer to in John. John chapter 1, where he summarizes the birth of Jesus in a different way. Remember last time we looked at that how John connects his writing, the last books he wrote, all the way to Genesis 1 and 1, 1. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. In him was life and he was the light of men. Coming down to verse 11, it says, he came to his own. Or another translation says he came to what was his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born both, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, that's why it's important to talk about the birth of Jesus. Why he had to come. To talk about this baby who was born with one primary purpose so that he could die for you and I. So he could die for the world. One of the trends that I'm noticing which kind of makes me kind of in many ways sad is that uh, the church losing out on two things. It's not the first time it has happened before in history. One, <clears throat> the struggle that the Jews had that when Jesus, was came, Jesus came and the church was born would give acceptance to the Gentiles as part of the Jewish believers. They struggled. How could Jews and Gentiles be together? Because when the church was born, it was born in synagogues. It was born because of the Jews who believed in him. But they had problem because Paul was sent out to the Gentiles. In fact, none of the other disciples left Jerusalem. And he was the one who went to Gentiles because it clearly says here that he said revelation is a message also for the Gentiles. That's where Jesus came. But the church struggled with that idea. 
And what has happened, that we who are Gentiles have created our own system of separation that we will not allow people based upon their race, their ethnicity, their background, their color and gender to be part of one church. We become very comfortable with the fact that we talk about there's a black church, there's an Indian church, there's a Korean church, there's an Ethiopian church, and there's an Anglo church and all that. That's not what the church was supposed to be. We look back and we criticize the Jewish believers. Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly because he was not associating with the Gentile believers. The second part that disturbs me is this. This year alone, four of our supporting churches have said that we will not be able to continue our support to you next year. The reason because we as a church have decided that our people are better off in choosing where they want to spend their money for missions. Actually, that's a cheap way of saying we have no clue what to do as the missions. They have no clue what is happening around the world. They have no clue how to be engaging in the world missions. Church is failing and he's saying, so no, no, people will decide wherever they want to give for missions. But give your main offering to the church because we have to run this so-called social club so we can entertain you. We can pay for the building. We can pay for the thing. But when it comes to missions, you decide. We forget that the purpose why God has kept us on this earth is to be a light to the rest of the world. That's what even Israel was supposed to be. And that's a danger trap to fall into. As I conclude, one of the best ways I describe Christmas, I remember that always brings back <clears throat> the truth and reality of Christmas and the message when we share that with others in a, is in a story which goes like this. A farmer in Ohio, you may have heard this before, had a very, very large farm. And one of the relaxing things that he used to do was to mow the ground to prepare for the seed sowing in the crop. One day he noticed that he always misses a corner because the tractor has to go kind of in a circle, but there was a corner that was left alone, and he didn't have to worry about that because he had such a large farm. But he noticed that there was an ant hill that had grown in that area. One day he stopped to look at this ant hill and he was really fascinated by observing them that how hard these ants were working and how many chambers had come up and how this ant hill was growing. He also noticed that he ran over their colony a little bit. So he said next time he was going to be careful and leave enough room. So season after season, he left more ground, more ground. In fact, he tried to even give them some seed and some other things so they can flourish. And if you have seen large ant hills and the colonies that they built and how different towers they have and coming and all that is one of the most fascinating thing that you can ever watch. How organized, hardworking they are. So this farmer will often stop his work. He'll sit there to enjoy the ants. The ant hill became very fond of them. Until one day he gets the notice from the city that a new highway that's going to bypass the city is going to come through that and part of his land is going to be required by the federal law and he has to give it. He'll be given fair compensation. 
As he studied the map, he discovered that that highway was going to go through that corner where the anthill was. It really disturbed him. He said, this is a beautiful work they have done. They created for so many years. How can I save this anthill? He goes to the city officials and he says, can you move your, your uh, uh, highway a little bit away from my land? And they said, why? Oh, because I don't want the anthill to be destroyed. He said, don't be ridiculous. You have no idea how many anthills we are going to destroy in the process. He said, can you spare this one? They said, no. He went to his friends and he says, I'm kind of feeling frustrated. How can I save these ants? I've come to love them and I'm kind of feeling compassionate towards them. So he worked hard. He put a little food and chain and somehow they'll follow him and they'll go and build their anthill somewhere else. It didn't happen. One day sitting there and shouting, danger is coming. Can you guys move from here? Nothing happened. He even tried to pick some to take them somewhere else and they started biting him. He felt so frustrated, so helpful, help, helpless. How can I explain to them about the coming danger and I can really save them if they listen to me? A friend said, the only solution is if somehow you can go among the ants as an ant, so you will be one of them and they'll listen to you. But at the same time, somehow if you can retain your humanness so that you can comprehend and understand the problem that they're going to face, and you may have a chance to convince them that you are going to be their savior and they should listen and follow you and you can save them from the coming danger. And for them to know that you had the one who are human being, the owner of this farmer, and I come as the savior, as an ant, why don't you send some signs before you go there? So they'll be prepared and they'll look forward to your coming. And maybe that'll happen. God had been working with human beings since the day of creation. Listen to me about the coming danger. One day the world is going to be destroyed. I can save you if you follow me, if you listen to me. He sends his son to take birth among us as human being, as one of us, while retaining his Godhead to say, follow me. I'm the only way to the Father and only in me you can have heaven. Listen to me. Only few did. But Peter writes to us, <clears throat> we still have some time. This is the time to go out and still God is not forgotten that his promises, but he's patient towards us. That somehow let's make another run. <clears throat> have the unwise during this Christmas. To share the story of the first Christmas one more time. That Jesus is came and is born to be our savior. Some of our family members, some of our children, our neighbors need to hear that. <clears throat> our relatives far away, friends, and people around the world need to hear that. I was told that <clears throat> my track, this on Christmas, which is translated into six different languages, had just reached the mark of about 2 million copies have been distributed over the last 
these 10 years. Sounds a lot. But India has 1.3 billion people. It's not even a drop in the bucket, not even a drop off the bucket. Where will we begin? That's where everyone comes in a play. The command that Jesus gave to us, you carry the mandate to share by the Lord Jesus Christ to others, to the ends of the earth, so that people can hear <clears throat> why Jesus was born, so that they too can put their trust in him and be saved. That's the story of Christmas. Those of us who know him, we are the wise ones. I hope there's not anyone sitting here who is still unwise because of any reason and have not put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, <clears throat> these three unwise men of the first Christmas, and there were many more. But the sad story is that uh, till today, thousands of years later, the world is still full of unwise people. They are unwise not because they don't know the gospel or they don't understand it or they have not been told. Most of them, they choose to reject. We have not talked about the seriousness of the coming danger or we have not explained to them about the love of God that was exhibited in Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that this Christmas you will give us opportunities to share about the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, but most importantly, the beauty of putting our trust in him for our salvation. And we ask, Father, to make this happen for your glory, for the extension of your kingdom, and also what is good for your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>